Church, I'm just going to go ahead and jump in, and here's the reason why, because um, we've got a lot to unpack in the text that we have today, and so what I'm going to do today may be a little different, it may feel a little different. We are just going to, I'm just going to unpack the chips that fall in this text, and we're just going to let them fall where they may, and so... There we go, all right? So, so here we go. R- recap, we've been in creation. We've looked at creation, right? Um, creation being in the beginning, and God created the heavens and the earth. Um, it was very good. That's where we started this whole journey in, in our study through the book of Genesis. I guess that may be something I should pause and say. If you're a guest with us at Safe Haven, that's all we do. We don't teach topically. We just go straight through books of the Bible. And so this is not haphazard. Maybe that kind of lets you know where we're at and what we do. Um, so, so we started there in creation. Then we, we walked through the, the decreation. You may not have thought of it in those terms, but that's exactly what we've walked, walked through through the last couple of chapters. Let's look at it. Adam and Eve ate of the tree. They, they were then told, um, who told you you're naked? Uh, did, you, did you disobey me? So decreation. Uh, then man was driven out of the garden. The garden was guarded with angels and flaming swords. That's a whole fun story and would make for an awesome movie. Um, Cain then rose up against his brother Abel, killed him. Then the ground that was walked on was cursed. Do you feel the decreation going on? Um, And then this humongous verse in chapter 6, verse 5, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every inclination or intention of his heart was only continually evil. The Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth. It grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I've created from the face of the land, man, animals, creeping thing, birds of heaven, for I am sorry that I've made them. Like that's the want-want moment of all want-want moments. Do you feel this? It's, it's the grand creation and now this decreation, right? Uh, marriage had become offensive. Uh, whether this is supernatural or human, uh, Bart, would you raise your hand? Bart, raise your hand up high. I, 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 want, I need it high, Bart. If you have questions about the Nephilim and, and whether it was demons or what's going on, you need to approach Bart after the service. Uh, he is our expert on that. Marriage is warped. Uh, life is now shortened from hundreds of years all the way down to a hundred years. Uh, so, in other words, our hundred years, if we're lucky to live that long, is abnormal. That's not or the original design. That's an abnormality. Um, and then, to do all of this, violence is rampant. There's people killing at will, stealing at will, raping at will. Um, it's, a, it's an odd mixture, if you will, of sensuality, sexuality, and violence together. That should sound familiar, right? This is, this is going on. And so God says, I'm going to kill everybody, and I'm going to do it with a flood. And then we found ourselves in chapter 6, verse 17. Everything that is on earth shall die. So lest you wonder what the point of the flood was, it doesn't get any more clear than that. Everything got to go. It's a decreation. And so all of the flesh of the earth died. Birds, animals All mankind, the only thing that was left, as we know, if you remember, the fish of the sea survived. That answered that question. We went through that. Um, But the only thing that was left on land was Noah and his family. That was it. And that was, uh, we saw God's grief. We saw God's justice. We saw God's mercy. And then ultimately we saw mankind's purpose. And that's how we fleshed ourselves out. So that's a recap. And now you're looking at that going, Troy, we spent six weeks doing that. And you could have done that in three minutes, brother. Right? So there we go. That's everything that we've walked through. 
that brings us to allegorization. The question would be, is this really a historical moment or is this just a parable? Is this some kind of story? And you may have heard of all kind of the Gilgamesh and all this kind of stuff, all all kind of different flood stories. I would argue all other stories flood-wise come as a warp of what God has intended through what historically happened. But the question would be, is this allegorization? Our simple answer at Safe Haven would simply be those verses right there. Isaiah thought that this was a real historical event in Isaiah 54. Ezekiel taught that this was a historical event in Ezekiel 14. Jesus, like it should just end right there. That's the trump card, right? (laughs) Jesus taught that this was a historical moment in Matthew 24. 1 Peter 2 and 3 taught that this was a historical moment. So at Safe Haven, we're going to side with these guys and go, this was a true historical moment, not parable, not allegorization, not symbolic. So this is where this lends. So, So... it's a pretty cool structure, and I thought about walking through the structure, but we don't have time for that. I'm already on your bad side for how long we've been for a couple of the past sermons, so we're going to try to speed it up. But I do think the structure is pretty notable. Do this in your own study time. Community groups talk about this tonight or this week when you guys meet. The comparison with Adam and Noah and their accounts is pretty crazy. Um, the way that they parallel one another. Let me give you some examples. With Adam and Noah, you've got 150 days um, of, of, this, of this rising and this, this flood rising. Then you've got 150 days of this descending of the flood. Um, you've got Adam walking with God. You've got Noah walking with God. That's repeated four times. You've got a received promised blessing with Adam. You've got a received promised blessing in Noah. Adam was the caretaker of animals. Noah is now the caretaker of animals. Adam had three sons. Noah had three sons. Adam was a gardener. Noah was a gardener. Adam sins from eating of the fruit of the tree. Noah is going to sin next week by not only eating but drinking from the fruit of the tree. Adam has a son, Cain, who is now under a curse. Noah is going to have a son, Ham, who will be under a curse. Adam sins and it begins to flood the earth. Noah is righteous and the flood removes sin from the earth. It's just some pretty cool parallels that's going on. I I offer that to you for continued study. So what's the point of it all? What's the point of everything? I would say the point of everything is not the ark. The point of everything is not the animals. Even though all of your Sunday school classes growing up, the only thing that you saw was flannel graphs of an archy-archy and gopher woody-woody And all these things, that's not the point of this story. It's not even the the hydrological violence, if you will. That's not the point of the story. The point of all of this is about Noah's salvation. The whole point is about this man who by faith was obedient in the midst of lawlessness and found salvation. That's the point. The point is about a righteous man and how can we be righteous and walk with God and ultimately find his favor. And I think that's hidden nugget in chapter 6, verse 8. I think that's the point of the whole flood narrative. So with that said, let's look at what we've got. Why would I say that? Why is this just about Noah? Why is this about his salvation? Why is this about his righteousness? Well, follow four things that we have in Noah. We've got a guy who's preaching righteousness right in the middle of a violently sexualized culture. That's the point. He's proclaiming this. He's he's preaching this in the midst of a community and culture who says you can't do that. 
Uh, some of y'all may have saw the news article that came out yesterday. Just yesterday I read this about a street preacher in, uh, around the university campus who has been banned, and it actually went to court, who's been banned that he cannot proclaim the gospel on the street corner without going to the city and getting a permit. That's our community, our town, right down the street, just went through the court system, was pronounced yesterday in the news. And that's ultimately what you have. You have a guy who's, who's standing up in the midst of a radically violent culture. Every intention of their heart was evil. Rape, murder, all of it going on simultaneously. And Second Peter 2 tells us this. It was so violently, uh, so violent that the Lord had to preserve Noah because everybody wanted to kill him. Despite everybody wanting to kill him, he stood up and said, I'll stand up for righteousness. So we have this. We've got a guy who by faith alone is building an ark that had to take at least 100 to 150 years to build. Okay? So you've got this guy who's continuing by faith. Now, yes, the, the debate can come up as who helped him. Um, did his, did his grand, great-grandfather Lamech help him? Maybe. Uh, what about Enoch? I don't know. He's probably dead. I don't know. He did live... Well, he, he was not. He didn't die. So he just separated. Uh, Methuselah. Who helped him? We don't know. But we do know this, that this man in the midst of this culture built a 500 foot by 90 foot by 60 foot wooden boat without a tool, without power, and lo and behold, without a Dodge Ram. And as we all know, Dodge Rams are the means to all mankind building everything. Okay, He didn't have any of these things, and so he, 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 didn't, he didn't even have a Bob Vila video to watch, okay? Nothing. Okay. He's, he is building this enormous, gigantic, floating coffin. And that's ultimately what it would look like. All of us joke about, well, when I die, you can just throw me in an old pine box. Well, Noah built one and floated in it. That's what's going on in this story. Imagine the ridicule. Imagine all the jokes that came about. In this culture who hated this man, who stood for righteousness as they walked by laughing, mocking, you, you, you hear the jokes, right? How many men does it take to build a boat? Noah and his son. You know, what, whatever the, the mocking is. You can hear this. You can feel this in this text. But when the Lord shut them in and the rain began to fall, was the uh-oh moment of all uh-oh moments, wasn't it? And so you've got this guy who's doing this. And you've got a guy that all he had was a specific word from the Lord. That's all he had. The only thing he had to keep him going over this whole time of putting all this stuff together, falling the trees and all this kind of stuff, was just that the Lord told him to do it. And he was crazy enough to believe that the word the Lord had given him was enough. He was just crazy enough to believe that. In the midst of a culture who said, you're crazy. And so we are more advantageous than Noah in that sense, aren't we? So lo and behold, why would we ever let this thing collect dust on our shelf? It's the very word from the Lord to us. And so Noah took it in as a Bible promise. And that true faith of his produced obedience. Obedience despite an insane physical and mental task. An insane physical task for sure. How he even did it is miraculous in and of itself. But don't think for a second that Noah at some point didn't go, 
what am I doing? <laughs> no, we like to read this story and go, well, I mean, he just, well, he was human. He was human. So if you've ever been in the midst of following the Lord and the Lord seemed to tarry and you're like, Lord, what on earth are you doing? You're in good company. There's no doubt that Noah was like, this, what, whoa, Lord, what are we doing? Are you sure you've called us to this? But the truth of God's word trumped his feelings. That's a whole sermon in and of itself, church. Truth always trumps feelings. And so then finally we've got a guy that's spared from this horrendous disaster. And so that's the, the again... This disaster being horrendous is probably not something that is pictured in most books. Uh, so, so you guys were just handed. And I promise you, if you open up that book and look towards the Noahic flood, you are not going to see dead bodies bobbing up and down. We just don't want to put that before our kids. And so we see this thing, but that's what happened. This was a horrendous moment, a purging of the earth where carcasses are floating all over the place. And Noah's saved from this moment. The structures of the earth are cracked, ravaged. The waters from above begin to fall. The waters from below begin to erupt up out of the ground. It's literally carving. So if you, if, if you think about the flood as maybe just like a glorified spa moment... Just like a sauna moment where you hop in the hot tub and there's a couple of bubbles floating around. Oh, this is fun. But it wasn't. The Grand Canyon is literally carved through the earth by this violent eruption of water. This is what's going on, but Noah is saved. One obedient life that impacts his family, and then that family impacts the world. Ultimately, Christ comes through this lineage, and ultimately, (laughs) we feel the impacts and benefits of this. We feel the benefits of Noah's righteousness in his faith in the promised one to come, and the promised, promised giver comes to us. It's a grand, glorious story. It's a grand, glorious history. So with that said, the point is that God keeps a remnant by faith. God restores broken things by grace. So the question is, are you His in Him by grace through faith just like Noah? Where are you at? Where are you at in your journey? All right, so today's text will then take us on our last leg of the journey. We've seen creation, we've seen decreation, and now our text today is the recreation um, so if you just like fun words, we just tried to end them with shun on all of them. There's nothing biblical about that, but creation, decreation, or recreation. Actually, that's not true. It's all biblical, um, but, but these points are just kind of things that maybe will trigger your mind to help you understand what's going on in the text. Here we go. You ready, church? You're like, am I ready? I thought we were about to wrap it up, Troy. Right. I'm just going to read it today and, again, just point out some nuggets and just trust that the Spirit's gracious to us. Fair enough? Fair enough. Chapter 8, verse 1. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and the livestock that were with him in the ark. God made a wind blow over the earth and the water subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of heaven were closed. The rain from heaven was restrained and the waters receded from the earth Continually, Again, it's impossible to read this without seeing the parallels with Genesis chapter 1, isn't it? 
It's impossible to read this and not see those. God initiated the whole thing. Then God made a wind to blow over the earth. You remember this in creation. The Spirit hovered over the face of the waters. God then separates the waters from the heavens and the waters from below. Um, It's a glorious reminder that God sovereignly reigns, right? Our God is in the heavens, and Psalm 15 says, and He does as He pleases. It's a great reminder of God's sovereignty. Uh, At the end of 150 days, the water had abated. And in the seventh month, and on the 17th day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. And the waters continued to abate until the 10th month. In the 10th month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. At the end of 40 days, Noah opened the windows of the ark that he had made. Now, church, listen. Noah has been cooped up at this point in an ark for five months and then sat for another two months in it. And as couth as I can possibly say this, I'm not sure Noah just calmly opened up the windows that's going on here as Moses so kindly phrases it. Our family can't make it on a drive to the beach without the windows having to be flung open. I have worked in lock-ins with students for years and years and years. And lock-ins with students after a period of 24 hours, you are ready to kick wide open the door for all parents to come in. So as this is going on, at some point, feel what's going on in this text. For five months, animals, zoo, Seasickness, family, brothers, sisters, in-laws, God bless them in the back. (laughs) All these people up in this boat, there had to come a point where Noah began to pray that the whole thing sank, right? I mean, it's chaos, Stuck together, cramped up for five months. So, so it's, it's got to be at some point that Noah's just like, God, I don't, look, I don't think it's worth it. <laughs> just sink us. Okay, so this is going on. But seriously, what a great lesson about having patience in trusting in God's sovereignty and timing, even in the midst of things we don't understand and things that are uncomfortable. What a great lesson. This brother's patient. You ever become impatient with the Lord? Have you ever been there? Here's the truth. Our God is rarely early, but He's always on time. And we can see that in this. Even in the midst of discomfort, we wait. We wait. Oh, this would be a good lesson to see if my kids learned anything growing up. Kids, we wait without what? Whining. Kobe remembers. Macy has no clue. All right. This is patience. The essence of patience is we wait without whining. There is no, not one mention of God having a conversation with Noah. It'll come later during the midst of those five months. And he patiently waits as the water begins to subside. And Christians, this is, this is how we should wait. This is how we should wait for the return of the Lord that we just sang about. We wait patiently. Without whining. It's, it's a great lesson there. All right, keep going. 
Again, just trying to drop nuggets. They're all over the place. Um, uh, verse 7 continues, And then the Lord... Uh, then the Lord. <laughs> nope, it was Noah. And then Noah sent forth a raven, and it went to and fro until the waters uh, were dried up from the earth. Now, this is... The first animal he sends out is a completely unclean animal. This is not a clean animal. It's a raven. And, and I may be reading into this a bit, but I, th- I think there's... There's something notable about this, that the unclean animal does not return. All right, now let's watch what happens in verse 8. Then he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters had subsided from the face of the ground. But the dove found no place to set her foot, and she returned to him to the ark. For the waters were still on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her and brought her into the ark with him. He waited another seven days. And again, he sent forth the dove out of the ark. And the dove came back to him in the evening. And behold, in her mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So Noah knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. Then he waited another seven days and sent forth the dove. And she did not return to him anymore. Second, he sends out the clean animal. She comes back. She's faithful. She's used of the Lord. It just parallels. Again, I may be reading into that, and that's, that's, we can debate that, but I think it fits nicely with the story. And that church would make a killer topical sermon. But we don't preach topically, but you could definitely see this. Five ways to be a dove and not a raven. You know, six ways to whatever, seven ways to whatever, but alas, we will not go there. All right? Verse 13. And in the six... Hundred uh, uh, in the six hundred and first year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried from off the earth, and Noah removed the covering of the ark, and he looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. In the second month, on the twenty seventh day of the month, the earth had dried out. Then God said to Noah, "This is again the first time that God speaks to Noah, or that we know of that God speaks to Noah." Verse 16, go out from your ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Uh, Bring out with you every living thing that is with you of the flesh, birds and animals and creeping things that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his son's wife with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by families from the ark. So forget the Macy's Day Parade. Forget Mardi Gras parades. This is the recreation parade, the best parade humanity has ever seen. There's all kind of things that have got to be going on in this moment, right? They've been cooped up. Eagles have been cooped up with their wings like this. The door busts open, and you got to see the eagles just... And they're out. The door, boom, parade begins, right? Uh, The elephants... The elephants then see the eagles go, and they're like, all right, we're out of here. And they, you know, do the wobble on out and do the thing. And Noah slaps them high five, and then they head on out. You know, dogs in this moment. Dogs, I don't know, they probably walk up to Noah and like, hey, can we still play ball? You know, <laughs> do the thing. And cats, you know, cats, of course, are just like, me. I'm going to go take a nap back in the corner. You know, whatever it is, this, this parade of all these animals starts busting forth and it, it's going on. It's just really cool. It's a celebration. It's a celebration of life. It's a celebration of preservation. Good grief, it's just a, a preservation of survival, right? The door busts open and everybody's happy. It's, it's a party of all parties. And, and so when you think about this party, there's got to be all kind of questions in Noah's mind. 
Where are we going to live? What are we going to do? What are we, how do we reestablish? Where are we going to plant a garden? Where are we going to blah, 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 blah? So, so Noah, where does he even begin? Like, where do I begin with all that's going on now that the door is open? Oh, buddy, there's a great lesson in this one. Verse 20. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord. Midst of chaos. Midst of celebration. Midst of an enormous moment. And what is the first thing this brother does? Worships. I just found out I'm pregnant. What do I do? Well, you worship. It's my birthday. (laughs) What are we going to do? Well, you worship. The anniversary is coming up. What am I going to buy? Where are we going to go? We worship. The sporting event is there. What is the first thing that I do? I I worship. The the wedding is coming. What do I do? Worship. We just got on vacation and put our bags down. What is the first thing we do? We worship. The funeral has come. What do we do? We worship. I walk into my job tomorrow morning, open the door, sit down in my cubicle or crank up the tool or or whatever it is, tell all the students to just shut up because they sound like they're on an ark. We worship. Every single moment in life should push us to worship first and foremost above all things. And that's what Noah did. As the eagles are busting out. Because that's what an eagle would do apparently with the back leg. Boom. As, as, as the cougar just takes off. Like he didn't even see the cougar again. He was like, cougar gone. <laughs> right? All this is going on around him. He said, what, what should I do? Well, I should worship. First response. Cool thing. All right, let's keep going. Now God's response as we draw this whole thing to a close. Verse 21. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma... Oh, I forgot. I didn't read the rest of that verse. Then Noah built an ark to the Lord, took some of the very clean, uh, of every clean animal, some of every clean bird, and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither uh, will I ever again strike down every living creature as I've done, their recreation. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful, and multiply, fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon Every beast of the earth and upon every birds of the heaven, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all fish of the sea. Into your hand they're delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. But now you shall not only eat, uh, but now uh, you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. And for your lifeblood, I will require, require reckoning from every beast, I will require it from man. Uh, from his fellow man, I will, re- will require a reckoning. I feel like this is a tongue twister. Peter Popper picked a peck of pickled peppers. From his fellow man, I will require a reckoning uh, for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image, and you be fruitful and multiply, increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. So for reasons within the counsel of his own will, out of the flood, God gives the common grace Noahic covenant. For all the budding theologians in the room, this is the Noahic covenant. 
And for the rest of you, you're like, that's dumb. This is a good moment. This is a huge moment. Apart from the Adamic covenant, which does not apply to us, that's a whole other story for another day, now we have a Noahic covenant, which is a common grace covenant. God just decided in the counsel of His own will to do some things for common humanity, whether we're unbeliever or believer. That's what common grace is. Meaning, it doesn't just apply to believers. It applies to unbelievers and believers. What what are the elements of this? Let's recap them. God decided to continue to be patient with mankind and extend chances all the way until the day of reckoning. Out of the flood, God could have said, Boom! Done! And he didn't. He said, I will now offer grace and patience. I could wipe it all out, but I'm going to extend my grace and patience. Uh, then number two, out of this common grace covenant, God decides to continue the seasonal structures of life. Season after season after season to display his love. So now, as we walk out the doors, it was chilly this morning. We walk out, it'll be warm. We should walk out and go, thank you, Lord, for this season. This is a grace. You don't have to do this. Which also means when it gets cold, we should also go, Lord, thank you for this coldness. I struggle within my soul for that one. Okay, just being honest with you. But that's, he says, I'm going to do this. God then decides to allow sexual recreation as a means of sexual procreation to flood and to be a common grace. I can't say much more about that because I don't want to steal Ray and Janie's thunder later. No. Uh, Fruitful. Be fruitful and fill the earth. It's a grace not to be taken for granted. God decides to continue to allow mankind to rule over the animal kingdom. That's a good one. That is a good one. That in common grace, man gets to rule over animals. You know why? Because if it was reversed, you would be a tiger's lunch. All right? So in common grace, he gives us this. God decides to allow mankind to eat meat for the first time. Did y'all catch that? It's no longer just vegetables. So at that moment, when God says this, Hey, Adam, now no longer the fruits of the ground, but you can also eat meat. Just don't make sure it has blood in it. All the cows were like, we out. (laughs) We out of here. Boom. And so now you've got man eating meat. God also decides to curb violence with just, just capital punishment. This is again a whole... This is not a whole sermon. This, This is a whole nother... Gosh, this is a theological study for another day, but but I don't want to skip it because it's in the text that the Lord has sovereignly given us today. We respect life because God is the giver of life. From the womb to the tomb, we're to respect life. This is what the Lord says here. Because He is the giver of life's blood. No man creates his own blood. So God says, so therefore you, you can't take that. You can't rob that. Again, it's coming out of a sexually violent culture who just killed, raped, and destroyed at will. God says, this will not be going on in recreation. Why? Because people had murdered before Noah. And as Noah begins to expand the earth, he goes, listen, they still have the propensity to do the exact same thing that happened pre-flood. So I'm going to curb this with just capital punishment. Therefore, all homicide between man is actually a a fratricide. So if I kill another man, the Lord says, this is your fellow man. You can't kill your fellow man. 
So he brings it into brotherhood. And he says, here's the deal. When this occurs, a life for a life, a blood for blood. So, I'll say this. We must indeed, as a church and as Christians, completely reject unjust murder, unjust punishment, unjust Radical offenses. And a lot of times in capital punishment cases, we know there are unjust moments. They're driven by race. They're driven by agenda. They're driven by politics. They're driven by a myriad of different things. And when it is unjust, we as Christians have to be a voice that says we cannot stand for unjust murder in any shape, form, or fashion. That's true. But according to this passage... We must understand that justified and righteous capital punishment is not only a biblical command, but it's also a societal obligation in common grace. Like everybody who was asleep before is strangely staring at me. It's a big moment. That's a a big teaching out of the truth of God's word. And so, why did he do this? He put this in place to guard against anarchist societies who just do whatever the they please. Pre-flood. Post-flood, I'm not going to have this. And this is the thing that I set in place. And so to argue against justified capital punishment is to argue against God himself. And so, again, for only reasons within the counsel of his will, he gives us three remaining traits of the Noahic covenant. Let's keep going. Verse 8. I can feel it. Troy, are you really going to end it right there? Yeah. If you want to have lunch this week, I will be glad to have lunch with you. You pay for it. All right. Verse 8. And we can go to Southern Ale House. Uh, verse 8, just kidding, I'll be glad, seriously, I joke about that, I'll be glad to meet with any of you, and we can talk through that if you'd like to talk through that. Uh, Verse 8, then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you, with every living creature that's with you, the birds, the livestock, every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark, it's for every beast of the field, I'll establish my covenant with you. That, that never again shall all flesh be cut off by waters of the flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I'll make between you and every living creature that's with you for all future generations. And I have set my bow in the cloud. And it shall be a, a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. And when I bring clouds over the earth and that bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that's between me and you and every living creature of the flesh. And waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all of flesh. And when the bow is in the clouds, I will see it. I will remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. Notice that it did not say, I will remember the covenant between me and Noah. It said, I will remember my covenant between between me and all living creatures on the earth. Verse 17, and God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I also have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. Let's look at three things, and I promise I will shut up. It's a unilateral covenant. It's a one-way covenant. Noah didn't have jack to do with anything. (laughs) 
God just said, I'm going to do this. Unilaterally, he decided to do this for no other reason than the counsel of his own will and his good grace. Praise God for his grace. It's a global covenant. Global meaning the sphere literally of the globe. He says, I'm never going to destroy the earth again by flood. The next time will simply be with my return. And then finally, it's a daily covenant. A daily covenant God decides to establish with the sign of the rainbow. Or in the text he said, my bow. It's my bow. That's cool. That's fun. Right? So when we go out and we see a rainbow, we shouldn't go, oh, it's a random rainbow. Or, or I think in the video right now, now I'm going way off track, of, of the one where the, the girl's like, it's a double rainbow. It's a double rainbow. Right? All this kind of stuff. We shouldn't go out there and go, lucky charms, pot of gold, whatever. We should go, God's bow. That's his bow. That's the cool thing about a rainbow. And why do I say daily? I'm no meteorologist by any stretch of the imagination. Now, I will I'll be honest with you. I do want to be James Spann at times in my life. When he gets all excited and starts talking about uh, Peter's crab shack down the road that crossed from the railroad track, and if you take a corner at the tree that the apple fell out of yesterday, you're just like, that dude's brain's on a whole other level. Okay? I do, I'm no meteorologist. But you got to think there's a rainbow every single day around the world, if not thousands of rainbows. It's not just a one-time moment. God looks out daily and goes, my rainbow is cast everywhere, and this is how gracious I am. Will you receive my grace? So lest anyone says, well, God never revealed himself to me. I'll argue with you that he reveals himself in a jillion ways, much less a rainbow every single day. And sadly, people will go, but God, you never showed yourself to me. And God will unfurl a million different ways. He showed himself and he said, did you, did you, never, you never saw the rainbow? You missed it? You missed the rainbow? It was big. It had like seven or eight colors in it. Even for colorblind people, it's like multiple colors. Right? You not, you not catch that? It's just grace. No man will stand and say, I didn't have a chance. If you're in this room and you've seen the rainbow, you've heard of his grace. And so, uh, cool thing about a rainbow. <laughs> if you've ever heard me do a wedding, um, I always say this in every wedding as the band comes back up. Cool thing about a rainbow. When we see a rainbow in the sky, it looks like an arc, doesn't it? And the reason it looks like an arc is because it's broken up by the horizon. And so, Andy and Annalise, I mean, I may have married other people in this room, but this was said in your wedding. You know, we as humanity usually do a ring. And we say, this will be the sign of my covenant to my spouse. An unending circular covenant reminder. On goes, goes on forever. And we go, oh, that's the sign of the covenant. Did you know, fun fact, that a rainbow not broken by the horizon is actually a full circle? And from above, the Lord looks down. 
This is actually a skydiving picture, by the way. And some of you who've skydived before, you may have saw this as you fell through the ground, praying that the covenant didn't begin in heaven for you that day, right? <laughs> as you fall, you're like, oh, a beautiful rainbow. I hope this parachute opens up, <laughs> right? And so this is a beautiful picture. This is what God sees. What a great grace. No starting point. No ending point. I love you enough to show you that through Christ, my love for you will be forever. It's fun. That's fun. Let's pray. Lord, I know that was a lot of nuggets we just kind of randomly cast out of this text. But may all those Noahic nuggets flood our heart, minds, and souls today. May they produce in randomness <laughs> whatever you desire. Different segments meaningful for different people by your Spirit, but for all of us. May we believe God. May we receive His righteousness by faith. May we live obediently, and may we patiently wait on your return.